Welcome to The Leadership Mindset, the podcast where we uncover the hidden gems of sales and business leadership. In each episode, our goal is to bring you up close and personal with the world's most accomplished business leaders. We explore their experiences, motivations, inspirations, and the challenges they've conquered on their way to the top. In today's episode, you can expect to learn the three most important sales stories, how vulnerability builds connections, why it's important to make the customer the hero in your success stories, how to structure your stories with setup, action, and emotional payoff. So grab a coffee and enjoy the conversation with today's guest, Cheryl Green. Joe, we're here to talk about your book, Once Upon a Bottom Line. Great title, by the way. Harnessing the Power of Storytelling in Sales. Where did storytelling start for you? Paul, thank you so much for having me on the show. So storytelling started for me probably about 10 years ago. I had what was a unique experience or a unique end to my marriage. And I, I got a phone call one day. I was expecting to hear from my husband earlier on in the day because we used to text all the time. And I got a phone call from him where he just picked up and said, I'm in big trouble. And those four words set off this chain reaction of just disaster in my life. It turned out that he had been arrested for soliciting a minor online which that's not a phone call you ever want to get from your spouse. I could only begin to imagine it must have hit you like a two by four between the eyes. It's, you know, it, it's actually funny because now, you know, it's been 10 years and it almost seems like another life. And I think back and I'm like, that couldn't have possibly happened to me, but it did. And I had to start over. I was living in North Carolina at the time and, and I up and left. That was the one thing that he could have done that made would make me leave the marriage. And I did. And I came out to Las Vegas to start over. And one of the problems that I had, obviously, I'd lost my spouse. My I walked away from my job, my home, my my life as I knew it. And I went into a pretty, pretty deep depression. And uh, thankfully, my dad and my stepmom were there and were incredibly supportive. And they encouraged me to go out and one, to do something for someone else and two, to deal with my feelings. And I went to therapy. It was good. But one of the things that really helped me was writing. I had taken this class at the community college and the teacher would walk in every day and say, we are storytellers. So let's tell a story. Interesting. And so at this stage, did you see what you had you discovered storytelling at this stage or was it would happen to you later on? I had no idea what I had. I was pretty sure that everybody could write and everybody could tell a story and I had no special skills whatsoever. And I started writing. Most people start out with short stories. That's the traditional trajectory in a fiction world. I skipped over that. I jumped right into a novel and wrote a 300-page novel. But it was huge for me because it helped me deal with all of the pain that I had gone through. And I always joke around, when you write mystery novels, the best part of it is that you get to kill people that you don't like. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> you just get to write everyone into your story and then kill them. And it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes only you have to know that to, to appreciate. <laughs> How autobiographical was that first story? The first story, so it's, it's never been released and it may be this year, actually. I'm considering going back and editing it. It was very autobiographical. I had a therapist. Here's another thing you don't want to hear. I had a therapist who told me that my upbringing and my experiences are what causes schizophrenia. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm not schizophrenic. So what do I do with that? I actually have a background in forensic psychology. So that was a really interesting thing to play with. And I ended up writing a book about two characters that were actually in a mental facility together as children. And one had a saving grace in their life, whereas the other one didn't. And one became a detective and the other became a serial killer. Interesting. So it was a great way to play with that idea. And it was my first introduction to storytelling. And I think that's what makes me so passionate about it now is that I had that big background and really got to play with all the elements of story. So I can understand how you are attracted to storytelling. I'm curious to know why sales? Where's that angle? So one of the other things that I started doing to get myself out of the depression is animal rescue. I've always been a huge fan of animals, but my dog Akasha, who just wandered out of the room, she was this rock for me during the divorce and the depression and everything. And I found out that people were actually leaving their animals behind. This was during the major foreclosure time in 2008. Mm. People were leaving their animals behind in their foreclosed houses. Yikes. And real estate agents were finding them and bankers were finding them. And this was horrifying to me. So I started doing animal rescue. And fundraising will teach you a lot about sales. Because it is literally sales with no product. Interesting. Yeah. I never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. You're just going up to somebody and saying, hey, could you give me some money? And I'm going to promise to try and make the world a better place. Yeah. And you're also, you've got a ton of competition because everybody's telling that story. Yeah. So much. Within Vegas, I think there's over 90 animal rescues and that's just within a tiny town. Wow. So how, what was your approach? How did you make it work for you? So I actually, thankfully, I had that teacher's voice in the back of my head. It stuck with me for many years. And I was sitting with a potential donor one day, and I was throwing facts and figures at him. And frankly, I was boring the pants off of him. Um, there was just, I, he didn't want to hear it. I, there, there are horrible statistics in Vegas, which I won't go into. But it, especially years ago, it was not a good place for a homeless animal. Um, yeah, it's interesting that I never thought of it that way, but you're right, because you can quote horrible statistics about a topic like animal rescue. And there's 90 shelters and there's so many dogs, cats, et cetera, left behind. The problem is it is so horrible. You almost shut yourself off from it before you allow yourself to open up to it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I tried the statistics route and I tried the numbers route and I realized thankfully very quickly that it was not working. I was completely losing him. I felt like a failure. I was going to have to go back to, to my founder and say, I'm sorry, we have no more money. And instead, I decided to tell a story and I 
thought of the best one that could communicate what we do and the connection that that people have with animals. And I, I told him about this is my absolute favorite dog that's been through the rescue. Her name is Gemma. And she was actually dropped at the at the shelter in the night drop, which is where they put the animals that have passed. Uh, she was alive and well, except her back legs were paralyzed. Yikes. And we have so many animals in this town that the shelter, the vet took a look at her and said, there's probably no chance of her getting adopted. And she was sitting on the table waiting as he prepped that needle that was going to end her story. And one of our volunteers happened to be walking by and she saw Gemma through that little window and she busted into the exam room, which they don't really appreciate, but that's okay. Hmm. She scooped the dog off the table and brought her to our rescue. And we have, we gave her everything we could. She got traditional medical, she got Reiki, she got acupuncture, and she got a ton of love and happened to be living with our executive director who is in a wheelchair. So her house was already set up for a disability. And we got Gemma a little wheelchair so she could run with her front paws and drag her back legs behind her or wheel them behind her. Wow. One, it was amazing. And one day, the Kel, Kelly's our executive director. She sent us a video of Gemma running into the kitchen, no wheelchair involved. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I just I explained to the donor that it was because of people like him and because of community support that we were able to save that animal. And now she is living in the lap of luxury. She's got a pool and she loves to swim. It's just such a happy ending. And he was able to connect with that emotionally. And that's when he wanted to donate. And that came to you instinctively in the moment. You didn't plan it. You didn't think about it. You just told the one that was to hand. I do. I, Gemma, she's probably the most special animal that I've ever seen that I've never owned because my dog walked back into the room and I have to make that statement. But she, is, she had those eyes that she just looks through you and it looks into your soul. And she's stuck with me and just about everyone in this rescue. We, all of our animals have to go to good homes, but we all decided, no, this one is going to someone within the family because she needs to be, she needs to stay a part of our village. Okay, so w was there a, a, a sit-up moment where you said, this is it from a storytelling perspective, this is something that I want to market, you know, bring to the world? Yeah, I, it's funny. I floundered for a while trying to figure out, what am I an expert in? I, when you go into speaking, they say, you're not a speaker, you're an expert who speaks. And I was having a challenge with that because I am very multifaceted. I get involved in a lot of things. And I was like, all right, what can I really claim to be an expert in? And I'm, I'm trying to meditate now, but I've never been one for meditation. A friend of mine took me to a writing retreat as a, just a gift. And I was sitting out there, I, quiet, which doesn't happen very often for me. I was sitting out there and this name once upon a bottom line just came to me. And I realized that's something huge that I've been doing for over 10 years. I've been a storyteller for a long time. And I asked for a sign, universe, God, whatever you happen to believe. And as I was walking back into the retreat center, I have a card. I'm standing up now so that I can read the card off my bulletin board. 
there was a card from the retreat that said, share your story to help others. Hmm. And it was all about testimonials. And I've held on to it since then because that was my sign. That was my sign that this is the way that I can help people. Right. So why sales? Because as you well know, storytelling is so many different applications. You could be talking to anybody. You could be talking to corporate leaders. You could be talking to marketers, et cetera, et cetera. Why did you pick on sales? I do believe in the power of it for leadership and for customer service and all of those things. The reason I started with sales, and I'll get to those other ones, but the reason I started with sales is because that, I believe, is the most important need for an emotional connection. That's when you actually have to be able to to tap into your potential customer's heart instead of just their wallet. Very true. Very true. Yeah. And it's difficult because there's customers, prospects who can put up a lot of barriers for very good reasons. So you have to penetrate this hard shell. Mm. So that makes sense that you would choose sales. So then tell me, because you mentioned in your book about the three most important stories you can tell, again, Mm. in sales. Maybe you could share those with our listeners. Absolutely. So the three most important, and I'll just list them off and then I'll go into them. The first one is your why. It's your origin story. The second one is the success story. And the third is the cause marketing story. And I save that for last because that's the one that usually gets overlooked with businesses. So the origin story, people want to connect with you on a human level before they connect with you on a business level. I That's one of the tried and true things is people do business with those that they, what is it, know and trust or no trust. So they want to know where you came from. And it's funny, the about page is actually the second page visited on most business websites. So they look at the homepage, they see what, what you do and what you can do for them. And then they go over to the about page because they want that connection. And just like you asked me my story, right when we got on here, people want to connect with you as a human being before you try and sell them anything. Hmm. So that origin story, it's based out of comic book. Okay. So so, So what I'm curious about is where your origin story begins. For example, you didn't start with, I grew up in New York. You started with four words you never want to hear. Mm-hmm. So how do you choose an origin story? Is it about something that you've defined that you want to communicate? Is it about not where I come from, but where I'm coming from? That's a really good question. I've never had anybody ask that question. I think for me, that origin story and for most businesses should start with a turning point. It should start with either the crisis in their life or the challenge that they faced. Because you don't need to know that I'm from New York. You don't need to know anything, you know, about my childhood because that didn't affect directly what I do. The challenge that came to me that, you know, I'm going to use call to action, but I don't mean it at the end. A call to action to to step up and do something different. That's what needs to go into your origin story. Gotcha. So it's a something happened, sequence of events, and that's why I'm here. Correct. Got it. All right, that makes sense. All right, so that's origin story. I think everybody has an origin story, even if it's why I chose that particular organization to work for. I remember using this years ago. Somebody asked me, why Sandra? And I remember thinking, 
I could bore the pants off you telling you all about how many people and how many offices, yada, yada, yada. So I said, here's how I chose Sander. Here's how I got there. And that seemed to work. And again, it was just something that was, I don't want to say instinctive. I, maybe that's not the right term, but it just made sense to do it that way. So I like that. I like origin story. Good. We got that. So the second was second story. So the second is success. But can I just jump back to the first one for one yes, second? Sorry, of course. There is one thing. When you own the business, obviously, the origin story is about the business as a whole. When you are an employee or a salesperson or you work for the business, you actually have to go one step further because you need to know the business is why, but you also need to know yours. Yes. And I had, I was working with someone who went to work for a nonprofit. And every time he spoke about the nonprofit, it was like working with prisoners coming out of prison and getting back into the world. Every time he spoke about it, he would basically give us the story that was on the website. And it was like, no, we want to hear your story. And I finally got it out of him. And it turned out that he himself was in jail and had to start his life over. And I was like, that is so powerful. How could you possibly leave that out? I know. But here's the thing. This is so important. And it might just escape some people listening to this if they're driving along, not paying close enough attention. Because I think what you just said is so important. It's that willingness to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's so important, I think, to telling a powerful origin story and where maybe your colleague maybe felt just uncomfortable being vulnerable. But then when you when they found out that, yeah, th- this is it, this is how you're going to grab people's attention. This is how they're going to learn about the real you. This is how you're going to make everything that follows real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that vulnerability, when you express it, it gives other people the freedom to express their own. I'm wondering then, and I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit, we will come back. Is that why people then are reluctant to use storytelling as a tool in their toolkit when they're selling? Is that it does require you to be vulnerable? I think that's a huge part of it. People don't like to be vulnerable because they, a lot of people see it as a sign of weakness. Mm. When in actuality, that's a sign of strength. That's major strength to be able to share your pains and your weaknesses and your challenges and open up that space for someone else to share theirs and not just to share it, but to feel okay about it. Yeah. So I think that's Very huge. It's huge. Okay. So success was your second story, right? Yes. Uh, so I think the success story everybody is a lot more familiar with. And that is the, my customer had a problem we were able to provide this solution or this assistance. My customer was able to solve their problem. Okay. How do you tell that story so that the customer is still the hero in the story that you're not coming in as on your big white steed in your shining armor saying they had this problem and we came in and rescued them? Because I, yes. I see some marketers do that and I always think it's a mistake because it's relegating their customer to some bit part player. You're as the as the salesperson, as the product or the company, you're actually just the guide most of the time. You're alerting them to this solution that they are then going to take part in. And they're the ones that are solving their problem. Because you're right, you don't most of the time you don't want to set yourself up as the shining steed. I like that. So it just you are there guiding them through the process, guiding them through their challenge and 
offering solutions that they can then step up and take advantage of. Yeah, no, that, that does make sense. It's that where they have options, they feel you facilitated a process rather than push them into a corner. Yeah. All right. Okay. But, so that's a success story. That makes sense. Yeah. I also think why I love success stories as well is that it takes pressure. It's not, it doesn't, it never sounds pitchy. You're not saying, here's why you should buy this from us. It's here's our, this other client who had this problem and here's how we help them solve it. Does that seem similar, similar to your world? And it's much more conversational. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And people, people want to hear that. They want to hear that you were able to help someone who was in a similar situation. Oh. And even I, the question I get most regarding that is, what if I just started? And what if I don't have any of these stories? And there's two ways to approach that. One is, even if this is the first time you're getting paid, chances are you've done this for a while. In the book, I talk about Tony Robbins. Like He didn't wake up one day being a bazillionaire. He probably helped out some friends and some family before he ever took on his first client and did his first speaking engagement. So you can always find some experience where you've helped someone in your past, or you can borrow it from a coworker or you know your manager, as long as you say that you're borrowing it. Yeah, I think that's key. I think people think that stories have to be theirs. I think you have to make them yours in some way that you have to insert yourself into them. But they can be somebody else's. They don't have to be like an anecdote is something that happened to you. But the story is not about, for me anyway, it's not about what's technically true. It's about a truth. Yeah. And, and I think people often obsess about that and they say, that didn't happen to me. Or as you said, I'm only in the organization a short time. There's a lot of case studies on your website. There's a lot of colleagues you can talk to. You know, do we help customers? And then you'll right. find that there's trends in there that you can speak to and their stories. All right. Now, the third one, Shirley, you mentioned, I'd never heard the term before. Fascinating. Can you tell me what it is? And you said it's often overlooked, so you, re- you really got me now. Yes. Yeah. So the funny thing is, I actually hadn't heard the term either until about two years ago, and I was doing it. So cause marketing is when a business and a nonprofit work together for the benefit of both. And there are a ton of companies doing it. Corporations often call it corporate social responsibility. It's their CSR program. Mm. But coming from this nonprofit background, and we are a small nonprofit, we're getting larger. We're not these huge organizations that have staff and overhead and all of these things. We're this tiny little group that had to find businesses that wanted to work with us. and. It's not just about making a donation. A lot of businesses will, that's fabulous. We appreciate that. I will speak for all the nonprofits. It's great to make a donation, but there is more than that. There is, it's getting involved. And from the nonprofit or the causes standpoint, you have a responsibility as well. It's not just, hey, thanks, I'll send you your receipt in the mail. It's, You have to, as the nonprofit, you have to step up and say, you're doing this for me. What am I doing for you? And just as an example, I don't know what the exact number is right now, but we've got probably close to 8,000 Facebook followers for the rescue. So when an organization or when a business works with us, when they come and volunteer, when they donate, when they give a percentage of their bottom line, which we've got a couple of organizations that do now. We're not just going to say, hey, cool, thanks. 
we're going to put it on our Facebook page. We're going to send it out to our, we call them our villagers because it's hard to live village, but we're going to send it out to everyone we know because one, we want to say thank you for what they've done, but two, the more money they make, the more they're going to help us. And there's this kind of zero sum mentality out there that we need to get past because when a business helps the nonprofit, the nonprofit helps the business and it's a beautiful little infinity cycle. So is it a little bit like this that most of us, I'd say all of us at some often unconscious level, we tell a story to the world through the brands we choose, the clothes we wear, the motorbikes, the cars we drive. Is it the same? Is that then if the corporate world, so the, the nonprofits they choose to partner with is about them unconsciously also saying, here are our values. A hundred percent. Absolutely. I, from the consumer standpoint, you want to do business with businesses that care about what you care about. Yeah, that's true. And I've never thought about storytelling from that side at all. Interesting. It's super powerful and it gives you that extra layer. Okay, now I know why you do what you do. Now I know that whatever you do works. Now I want to know how you're making the world a better place. And one of the biggest challenges that I see businesses face is they have this mentality of, if I talk about it, it's actually going to cheapen the experience. I'm not doing this for PR. I'm not doing this for publicity. I'm doing this to be a good good citizen and give back and all of that. And it's getting them over that hump of, I don't want to talk about it. But if you talk about, well, I'm just going to use my rescue. If you talk about my rescue, then more people are going to find out about the rescue. So you're benefiting in more ways than one. And you're going to attract the, the tribe that they always talk about. You're going to attract those people that care about the same things you do. And they're the ones you want to do business with. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Look, I'm conscious of time, Charlotte. There's a couple of questions I want to go through with you. Is I want to maybe let's get stuck in the weeds a little bit here. How do you structure your stories for maximum impact? Okay, so there's so many different structures that you can use. The easiest one that I can see is it's called setup, action, and payoff. Okay. And the Setup is going to include everything your your main character, which is sometimes interchangeable with hero. Um, your main character, the setting, it's life as it has always been. That action is something has happened. They had this goal and something got in the way of that goal. And now they're forced to take action. They're forced to look for solutions. They're forced to take a journey, whatever it may be. And the payoff is how they succeed. And the most important part of the payoff is it's called a denouement in fiction or in official writing. But it's what does life look like now? So when I told you Gemma's story, I told you that now she's living in a great family and she's got a pool. So that's that payoff. That's what happens after you've gone on this journey, had the problem, faced the challenge, blah, blah, blah. and where are they now? But the most important part of all of this is that there is emotion in it. Your listener, your reader, they have to be able to see themselves in this journey. But that, doesn't that then require the storyteller to tell the story with emotion? Otherwise, you can't expect the listener to engage with the emotion. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's your responsibility, whether you're writing a story, whether you're telling it on stage, whether you're just telling it in a one-to-one conversation, it's your responsibility to take them on that emotional journey and show the pain, show the challenge that they're having, show, hit them where it hurts. And I hate to say it that way, but they have to feel that pain in order to feel the joy and the success at the end. Now, also, because the way you spoke about it there with the setup, the complication, the action, the problem in the story, and then the results, could that work also in the future where we have a scenario right now, and if something happens in the future, then we'll end up somewhere that we don't want to be. In terms of, for example, insurance salespeople, if they want to tell a story, it's always in the future. A flood happens, a fire happens, natural disaster. And if so, then because I always say, and this is why I love storytelling in sales is that if an insurance salesperson says, if there's a fire, then you'll end up without a home and you'll be out on the street, you'll have no work, blah, blah, blah. And that can sound like a black story. It can sound very unedifying. But if it's, if you tell it like it happened to somebody else, then it's real. So look, this probably won't happen to you client of mine recently was, and then you tell it like it happened to them. And it just seems to me so much more real when you tell it that way. Absolutely. And I, that's actually one of the stories that I tell in my book. That's the other half of the success story. It, I consider it the failure story. It's what will happen if you don't buy my product, use the service, whatever it is. Yeah. Absolutely. I, people buy to cure pain. Yep. And if you show them this potential pain and show them how you could help them avoid it, that's the abortion. Yeah. That's it. Because the concern I see a lot of rookies do this is that they'll say, if you don't buy this, and it almost sounds like a threat. Yeah. You don't want to threaten your no, customers. No. That's not going to work. Oh, no, never has. Never has. <laughs> so tell me, just finish up on this, Charlotte. It's been fascinating. And I really hope people get your book because it's a topic that every, everybody should in, invest time in. And I think the thing is, we're all born storytellers. We're all born listening to stories. When you meet up with people at a conference and you haven't seen them in a while and they say, so what have you been up to? You're telling stories. And so people have the tools, I guess they just need the confidence. They need the examples. They need the structures too, to, in this scenario, should I do it this way or that way? But something that I'm, I won't say undecided, I have a concern. And I think, by the way, in the title of your book, you've addressed it brilliantly. Okay. It's the word storytelling, because you said once upon a bottom line, and you're almost combining two stories there. You know, once upon a time is is, is classic. You're hooking the six-year-old in, in, inside, but then the bottom line is now you're in the adult world. And I love that. And so by, by that being your title, you've taken away the idea for me that the title storytelling can sometimes be a little bit fluffy, that in the adult world, the world of NBAs and VPs of sales and so on, that storytelling can seem something like they do when they go home to see their kids at night. And it can sometimes, again, this is just a, a feeling or a, maybe a prejudice I have that's, that, that the term storytelling is not for the business world. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's changing, but I'm wondering, is that something you've ever seen is there something else we can call it? Or should we just maybe re-educate people to, to it? I think, I think re-educating is really the way to go because you know what? I don't care what your title is. I don't care what your check shows at the end of the week. You're human. 
And we're wired for story. When you sit down, like you just said, when you get together with somebody that you haven't seen, do you sit down and say, I made $2 million on this and and we help 17.5% of the population? No one does that. And if they do, you're going to get up and leave because that's incredibly dull. But I think a lot of people shy away from storytelling because one, they don't think it belongs in a corporate arena. And I just disagree with that entirely because, like I said, they're, everyone's still human. And we still have to tap into those emotions no matter what you're doing. Maybe you're not going to get into a super personal story. I, there are times when that's inappropriate. But you're still going to be able to share, share that emotion and make that connection. And I think the other part is they're scared because they don't think they can do it because they don't consider themselves a storyteller. And you just have to go back and realize that from the moment you were born to the moment that you, after you die, stories are going to be a part of your life. You yep. may not be a great storyteller yet, but it's something you can learn. Yep. I love it. I'm trying to remember there was a line in Hamilton and it was, you don't get to write your story. It was a revisionist thing. I'm sorry, I'm going to edit that out, Cheryl, because that's because <laughs> I was trying to. It was very clever, but I can't remember exactly what the clever line was. So my life I, story, right? I, 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 I get rid of that. But it was a brilliant line in Hamilton, and it was something to do with how you write the ending of your story. Mm-hmm. But you don't get to choose. It doesn't matter. That's not doesn't sound right because I do believe you actually do get to write your story. You certainly right, get to write the future chapters, maybe not the past chapters. All right, good stuff. Listen, I will come back. I'll let all that out. Cheryl, listen, I want to thank you so much for your time today. It's been truly insightful. The book is Once Upon a Bottom Line, Harnessing the Power of Storytelling in Sales. Cheryl, how can people get in contact with you? Uh, they can go to my website. You can get there from onceuponabottomline.com. Or you can also go to com, And it's S-H-E-R-Y-L, green like the color, speaks.com. And you can email me, Cheryl at CherylGreenSpeaks.com. So anyway, get in touch. If I can help in in any way, I appreciate the opportunity to help the world tell their story. And very powerful, by the way, what you do with the animal shelter. I have two rescue dogs myself. Uh, it, but it is, it's they bring so much into your life. It, right. Nobody will love you like a dog will. In fact, it was funny. A colleague of mine said to me a couple of years ago at a conference, he says, I want people to, well, let me guess this right. He says, I, here, here's what it is. He says, I want to be the person my dog thinks I am. Yes. <laughs> I just so thought it was sweet. brilliant. It was perfect. Where, what's the Facebook page for the rescue? So it's Hearts Alive Village Las Vegas, and it's just H-A-B-L-V.com. And a percentage of every book I sell and every speaking engagement I do goes to the rescue. So I got my own cause marketing going on. It's a fantastic cause. So thank you very much, Cheryl, and well done. And congratulations on the book. It's not your first book, right? Is this your third book? Uh, this is my third book. I've got three novels sitting out there that may at some point see the light of day. And I wrote a book on resilience before this one, which was more of my personal story and what I used to overcome the, the divorce and the depression. Right. Fantastic. It's, it's a fascinating story, Cheryl. And the fact that you've come out as resilient as you are and because I watched some of your videos online, you talk about the fear you had with public speaking, the fact that you push for your fact, you push through that. There's a lot of people. Oh, yeah. So it's, 
Yeah, you have my total respect. And I, I think pe- people should check you out, no question. So thanks for being my guest today. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.